We continue in our uh, series in Ephesians this morning, so please uh, join me at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 978. There's still a few at the back if, uh, if you need one on the back table. And we'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Chapter 5. 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, for some people uh, reading this uh, passage, It can make them feel very um, uncomfortable for a number of reasons. Um, So I think it's worth pointing out a couple of things straight away. In verse 22, Paul says, submit to your own husbands. So he's not saying that all women must submit to all men all the time in every situation. And secondly, I'm sure that many of us will know how how horrible and damaging it is when men are abusive in marriages. Paul is not saying that's acceptable. That is never okay. That's not what he means by submit to your own husband. I can't spend 20 minutes on what Paul doesn't say, so I'm going to do my best to get across what I think he is saying and why God's word is always good for us, even when it's challenging beyond anything we can imagine. So let's pray and ask for God's help uh, in that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the, the author of creation. We thank you that in you we can trust, that you do not change, that you do not react to different situations, but there's a a constant love in you, 
for your people. And we pray this morning that we would hold that in our minds and in our hearts. Pray that you would uh, help us to hear. And we pray your spirit would do his work amongst us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was studying this passage during the week, I, um, I was thinking about a, a recent holiday that we went on as a family. And what came to mind was when uh, we thought it would be a nice idea to bring a jigsaw puzzle, uh, something to do as a family. And so before we left, we went to a charity shop and we found one we liked, uh, and it was a map of Middle Earth. Now, Fern's the puzzle pro. She's really good at them. I'm totally rubbish. Uh, so this was a really good, really good choice because her, uh, her skills would be pushed and tested while my interest would be kept by the, the picture of, of Middle Earth. So it was all lined up, it looked good, but then it turns out that toddlers aren't really a big fan of a, a slow, <laughs> rainy afternoon trying to piece together a picture of Middle Earth. So we, it, it soon just became impossible. And we decided that we needed a new approach. The, the puzzle would only get done when Mia's attention was totally occupied or she was asleep. And I think that that dynamic sums up many things in life. We, we set out with this picture in our minds of something that we want to do, but then quickly we find that the challenges of reality just, just force us to take a different approach. And I think this came to mind during the week because it reminds me of why, why Paul is, is writing to the Ephesians. I think they've, they've set out with a picture of the Christian life in their minds, but working towards it has become challenging, maybe to the point of feeling impossible. So Paul's writing to encourage them, and he does this by suggesting a, a different approach. And in our passage this morning, as you can see from our reading, Paul is addressing marriage. And perhaps Christians in Ephesus were struggling in their marriage. Maybe the picture of Christian marriage in their, their minds hasn't met with their reality. We get a sense throughout the, the whole letter that there's a lot of relational conflict in the, the church congregation. And it's not hard to imagine that that would lead to conflict in the home. And so Paul suggests an approach to deal with this problem. But the approach that Paul suggests to the Ephesians, it may have been very different to what they would have expected. Paul says, God creates unity in marriage through the wife's submission and the husband's sacrificial love. God creates unity in marriage through the wife's submission and the husband's sacrificial love. Now, this morning, I'm not attempting to answer every possible question about this passage or our, our different relationships and situations. I simply want us to consider for a moment that God knows what he's doing. And if God gave us these words... They are words that we can trust. And more than that, these are words that are good. And in our first, our first point, if you're following along on the, the back of the, the order of service, 
I want to skim over the whole passage. I want us to see that, that Paul doesn't only provide an unexpected approach to marriage, he provides a bigger picture than the marriage between a husband and a wife. The big picture Christian uh, husbands and, and wives are working towards in their marriage is the best and most beautiful love story. Now, I, I imagine we could have a, a fairly good debate. What is the best love story ever told in, in fictional books and movies? I imagine some, someone would say something like Pride and Prejudice, maybe. I was trying to think uh, what it would be for me. All I could think of was that the first movie to make me cry, a romantic movie, was The Notebook. I think you need, I think you need to have a heart of stone <laughs> not to love that love story. But, you yeah. know. But Paul wants, to see, wants the Ephesians to see something different. He wants them to see the best and most beautiful love story is of Christ and his bride, the church. Now, maybe for some of the Ephesians, you know, they, they feel like their, their marriage is nothing like the love story they imagined. It's not picturing up to anything they had thought of. Maybe it's a bit like uh, an abandoned, scattered table of jigsaw puzzles. And now they're, they're too tired, they're too angry, maybe they're too busy to try and put them together. And so Paul reminds these, these wives and husbands just how good and glorious is the completed picture on the box. But it's not a picture of them. Jesus explained that, that marriage isn't forever it, because in the end, the big picture is about Christ and his bride, the church. This is the forever marriage, Christ and the church. So I wonder if the point here with, with what Paul's doing on some level is, is to get Christians excited again about marriage. Paul is saying the love story of marriage is actually part of something much bigger, a much bigger love story. This is what you're working towards in your marriage, but it's also what we're all working towards as Christians. And I think that would have helped the Ephesians get on board with this unexpected approach to marriage. Paul says, the, the approach I'm giving you is the very same approach that God has taken with Christ and his bride. God's design for unity in this world is through Christ and the church. And so God's design for unity in marriage works in the same way. Look down to our, our passage with me, and if you have a highlighter, perhaps highlight the tiny word as and highlight the word church. And I think you'll see that this passage is constantly connecting God's design for our role in marriage and the way Christ relates to the church. Let's start with verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as 
Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. A Christian marriage has submission and headship, just as there is submission and headship between Christ and the church. Then again, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The role of the husband is about the sacrificial giving of himself to his wife, just as Christ sacrificed himself and gave himself up for the church. Let's keep, let's keep reading to verse 30, following that, that same uh, pattern, noticing those connections. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. When Christians start out uh, in marriage, they try to piece together the, the picture that they have in their heads. And many people quickly become exhausted. They feel like it's a lot of hard work. It's, it's getting beyond a challenge. Then, then they are introduced to social uh, media, uh, their friends, society in general, who are all heaping this bombard of information that, that's out there and available to them. And suddenly the, the couple uh, are left asking, is, is this what marriage is meant to be like? Are we doing it wrong? We haven't found ourselves passionately kissing in the rain once. Paul says, look at the best and most beautiful love story of Christ in the church. This is how Paul tries to get Christians excited about marriage again. Paul is saying, the love story of your marriage is actually part of this much bigger story. This is what you're working towards and what marriage is about. And the love story of Christ in the church is one containing real submission and real sacrifice. And it's good. It's good because it leads to this glorious future an abundance of riches, a beautiful new creation, and a perfect picture of unity. Unity that, that fulfills what God had always intended. So let's take a, a closer look then at the, the approach Paul suggests for, for wives and, and husbands um, as they work to this, this picture. So point two, the Medal of Honor Paul says the wife's role is to submit to her own husband. And in these, these first uh, verses, Paul repeats the word submit three times. But it's helpful to notice that if we look up to verse 21, we have another, another uh, repetition. 
of submission or submitting. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it's really important that we try to get in our, our minds a much better understanding of, of submission than perhaps what our, our culture has developed for us. Um, as, we, as we read through the passage last week, uh, maybe a lot of people were, were excited about uh, the, the body of Christ needing love, light, wisdom, but not so much submission. But verse 21 reminds us that Submission in the body of Christ is just as important as anything else. Christ wants to see his body functioning like it should. In order for a body to function properly, it must submit to the head. So, for example, uh, it doesn't really work if my head is saying, I'm going to walk over there and and grab a coffee, uh, but my body decides it doesn't want to be a body anymore. Um, It now wants to be the head. So if they're not, if they're not working uh, together, if the, the body doesn't submit to the head uh, voluntarily, then it just, it just doesn't function properly. And as members of Christ's body, we function properly when we submit to each other. Okay, now the temptation when we read verse 21 and how it says that we submit to one another is to say, okay, submission could be a good thing. Maybe Paul is saying something like, wives and husbands submit to each other in the same way. But verse 23, Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife. So we've got to be careful about pushing too hard to get round God's created order for relationships. Verse 23 is is addressing the wives, saying, your husband is your head. Now, Christ and the church do not submit to one another in the same way. They cannot swap roles. They cannot get away from their differences. But they are united and joined together with the same goal. And that's why it's so important for the husband to fulfill his role. And we'll get on to that in just a second. But I just want to, you know, to say that if the husband isn't filling his role, surely it becomes impossible for the wife to see the honor of submission. And must feel impossible to voluntarily submit to his leadership. Now, Many people hear the word today, submit, and I think it feels like a sense of of weakness. Maybe it's a a badge of shame, but Paul has something very different in mind. Um, And actually, the word he uses um, can be understood in the context of the military. And actually, after our passage today, Uh, In chapter 6, he will use military uh, language and imagery again. So let me just show you that in in chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So I wonder if uh, the image we should have in mind, the connotations of, of the word submission, 
is more of a, a soldier. In the, in the British Army, the, the greatest medal of honor is called the Victoria Cross, and it's awarded for extreme bravery, for being valiant and self-sacrificing, and extreme devotion to duty in the presence of the enemy. In God's design for unity in marriage, when there is godliness in the wife and the husband, there is a great deal of honor in both of their roles. So I wonder if the, the call to submission for wives is, it's not about the Victoria Cross, but honoring the cross of Christ. As the marriage takes its position in battle against the schemes of the devil, that old enemy, the wife has the honorable and courageous role of submitting to the leadership of the husband. Now, it's hard to know how the Ephesian wives would have felt about this. Uh, we can read about how the goddess Artemis, the worship of that pagan goddess, was very influential in that culture. So maybe it was, it was very tricky for, for women to hear this uh, in Ephesus. But regardless of culture and time, what we know is that throughout history, God's word, God's law has protected people in a way that is different uh, to any other group or community or philosophy. And there's a fascinating book published in 2022 called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. And she highlights that all these years on, things like liberal feminism hasn't actually been that helpful for women uh, to protect them from sexual violence and abuse. And it's quite extraordinary because she's a non-Christian. She's not a Christian. She doesn't believe in the Bible. But she claims that um, so much of our, our society, uh, liberal feminism, has been very harmful for women. And she, she spent time working in a, a clinic helping women recover from sexual violence. And it seems to have inspired her to write this book. And she suggests that eradicating the difference between the sexes, reducing the, the conversation that we're having uh, about appropriate sexual behavior just to a single word, consent, is actually unhelpful. And much to the annoyance of the writer and the, the Guardian who was, who was reviewing her book, her solution is marriage. Isn't that a radical idea? Rediscovering marriage, getting excited again about marriage. What if God's design for marriage is actually good? The challenge is holding together the fact that God's design is good alongside human failure. That's a really difficult challenge. But I don't think we can let human failure remove our trust in his design. The call to submission is not a weak one. It's, it's incredibly powerful and courageous. As wives stand next to their husband, their fellow soldier, 
who's willing to die for them. Submission is not a badge of shame, but a medal of honor. And this is a very countercultural view of submission. And I think Paul also teaches husbands a very countercultural view of headship. This is a headship that's not about power or glory, like a, a king with a fancy crown. It's more like the crown of thorns our Lord was given as he bled for the church. The husband's role as the head of the marriage is to love his wife. But what we see here is a love that means going way beyond what men think love is. Paul says a husband needs to bleed for their wife. A husband needs to nourish and cherish her. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As I was reading this, I thought about how uh, when I was younger, I remember my dad in a, a real outburst of uh, emotion um, as he was trying to argue and, and justify his failure as a husband and as a, as a father. And he said, don't you realize I go to work every day for the family? That was his, his reason. It was his excuse for his behavior. And maybe I could have been kinder, but I said, would you not go to work if you didn't have a family? We set the bar very low when it comes to being sacrificial. Paul says Christ went to the cross and died for his bride. And it was also that in verse 27, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What did it look like for Christ to be the head of the church? Well, it looked like having a crown of thorns pierced into his scalp with blood running down his face, mixing with the, the tears of joy and love that he had for all the, the people he was saving. Also that one day his bride would be ready for her wedding day, holy and blameless, a picture of perfection as she walks down the aisle. Christ bled for his bride because his love for her had a goal. He was preparing his bride, sanctifying her and washing her with his word. So verse 28 and 29, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church, and husbands have to do the same for their wives. I don't think this is satisfied with doing a bit of DIY. What does it mean to nourish and cherish your wife? Well, I think the best way to apply that for husbands today is to ask her. I think I imagine she has pretty good ideas. 
But I do think being a bit more uh, generous to husbands and, and men in general, I think it's a very odd time that men maybe haven't faced before. I think over the last 20 years, it, it's been really helpful to, to push back on some of the horrible things that guys do. Maybe uh, some people have argued, well, you know, that man is just a product of his time. But this ancient document that we've had for, for so long came before any of, of those men that have been held up and accused and found to be guilty of behaving in, in terrible ways. This ancient document, written by the author of creation, it calls men to a love that doesn't take but gives. A love that doesn't hurt others but often will hurt themselves. What we have here is two people, two different roles, but one shared goal, both working towards the, the picture of a, a glorious future. And I think when that happens, what Paul is saying, relationships flourish. And more than that, others actually see through their relationship the profound mystery. And that's our, our final point. Now, as we, as we move to our final point, look down with me to verse 31, where Paul refers to that well-known verse uh, from the original marriage story in, in Genesis. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says in verse 32, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In the, the Keller's book on marriage, it starts by referring to these verses in Ephesians and, and how Paul refers to the, the profound mystery. And they say that many couples, uh, a few years into marriage, all they understand about this verse is that marriage is a mystery. They feel lost and they feel confused. And that's because marriage is hard. It's, it's not a bad thing to recognize that it's hard work. But I think what's so helpful about Paul's teaching here is explaining that this hard work, taking these, these roles of being a wife and a husband, it's part of the best and most beautiful love story. The hard work is about looking after each other, helping each other to fulfill uh, each other's role because of the bigger story that's in front of us. Paul's quote from Genesis reminds us that marriage is a covenant, but it's a covenant placed within the covenant of Christ and the church. And I think having that future goal in mind uh, helps us to take on these, these different roles, these roles that God's designed for marriage. The wife gladly takes up the Medal of Honor. The husband gladly receives the crown of thorns. In a marriage of submission and sacrificial love, trusting God's design, the marriage is able to flourish. And when we share our man marriage with people with, with hospitality, uh, in service, in kindness, people encounter the story of the gospel itself. Now, if we were in a, a series of sermons on marriage, or you know, if for some bizarre reason I was writing a book on it, 
we, we could explain all the various dynamics of relationships, because there are so many. And I imagine today you're all sitting there with many, many, many questions. Uh, what, if, what if you're a Christian wife and you don't agree with this? Uh, what if your Christian husband is failing in this? Uh, what of the marriage where someone becomes a Christian? What of the unmarried couple, but only one of them is a Christian? What if you're struggling with being single? How can we all help the, the marriages in our, in our church? What if you're a widow? Well, I think that's the, the great thing about ministry. That's the, the true pri privilege of it, is that the Sunday sermon isn't sufficient on its own. So I ask that you would reach out to me, reach out to the elders, reach out to the church family, and let's talk about this. Let's share our questions and help each other understand what marriage means and the, and the needs that, that we have. And I suggest that uh, for those people who are here and married today, I suggest at the very least talk to your, your partner about this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your design. We thank you for the way that you have designed our salvation of, of Christ and his bride, the church. We pray, Father, as we get this picture of, of marriage, of, of real submission and real sacrificial love, that you would help us to understand it and help us to work towards it gladly, trusting and rejoicing in your word. We pray that you would help us all to minister to one another and, and have good conversations uh, about this today and throughout the week. Pray now, Lord, as we, we stand to praise you, that you would uh, be with us, fill us with your spirit. Help us to, to be rejoicing, rejoicing as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.